Well, good morning. It's good. Good, good morning. Good to see you guys. <laughs> good to see you guys. Hey, who's who's back from mission trip from uh, Jamaica? Who went? So, yeah. Okay, just Matt. All right, I wasn't sure who else went. Welcome back, Matt. It's good to. The Braves didn't give it away, so. Hey, hey, welcome. We're really glad that you guys are here today. If this happens to be your first time, special welcome to you. My name's Shannon. I get to be the lead pastor here, and um, we're just glad. I say this all the time, but it is true, so let's, let's hear this, okay? Because this is the whole reason. I mean, I hope this is the reason you showed up. Maybe someone just was like, hey, you know, they've been badgering you to come to church, and so you finally gave in, but here's the deal. We exist as a church because there is a God and he loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And this is why we exist as a church. This is why we are here. This is why we have worship together. This is why we have a message together. This is why your kids are being taught right now in the, in the, in the backyard, as we call it. This is why our, our students will be getting together tonight and worshiping and learning and all these things. This is why they're going on mission trips in a couple of weeks and why we're going to have a vacation Bible school. Like All of this is because... Because there is a God and he wants to be in relationship. This is why we say, hey, get in community groups. Um, be with other people. Learn God's word. Study God's word. Yeah, this is why we say, hey, be on a serve team. Would you? Would you help out? Would you be a part of what's going on? All of this is because there is a God and he loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you through Christ Jesus. So this is why we are here today. And so welcome if it's your first time, welcome. If it's your 100th time, I don't know if it's, yeah, I guess we have, have, have we had 100? I guess we have probably. I haven't done the math, so but we probably have. And hey, welcome to those joining us online as well. So we're glad that you are here um, today. So here's the deal. We are concluding this series we've been doing. And if you've missed any of it, it's okay. You'll be able to hang with us. But I do encourage you to go back because today is actually week eight of our doxy-praxy series. Doxy-praxy. What does that mean? Well, we've taken the word orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You should know this by now if you've been here. But the word orthodoxy means right thinking, okay? Like correct, accurate, um, proper. Like maybe we were swervy all over the place, but it's like, no, this is the way, this is what God's word says, our orthodoxy, our right thinking. And then there's this word orthopraxy, one we haven't always heard that much, but it means correct behavior, right? The right way to, to respond to what we believe. And so the tagline for this series is what you believe determines how you behave. And likewise, how you behave, it truly reveals, it reveals how you truly believe. So you can be saying one thing, but if your behaviors are doing another, that's going to show up. That inconsistency is going to be there. And so the whole purpose of this series has been for us to get our, our orthodoxy, our beliefs, to start to merge with our orthopraxy. That we bring, hopefully we go, all right, if my orthodoxy, if, if I wasn't understanding well, we want to bring that in line with God's word, and then we want our behavior to line up with that. That's been the whole purpose of this series. Um, which is why when you see the light on over here, you usually know, hey, there's going to be a baptism. Well, there's not one today. I mean, this morning at this service, but there was one at our 930 service, and we baptized Jared and April Brogdon, and uh, it was really great to share that time with them. 
and, and to, to celebrate that because in baptism, here's what's really cool about baptism. It's such an incredible witness to our faith, right? It's just this beautiful expression of our faith. It is someone going, I believe this, and so therefore I'm going to respond to this in my behavior. I want to say, I want to show what I believe, okay? That's your orthodoxy. Um, if, uh, and, and here's the deal with the Brogdons, with Jared and April, who those are the people that do our, oh, there they are. Oh, hey, hey, they, hey guys. Yeah, so um, they, they aren't going to be able, be able to be here this next week. And so, but next, this coming Sunday, you heard them talk about it. Uh, we're going to start doing, because we've had such a wonderful response to people wanting to be baptized, that we're going to start putting them to kind of together in, in groups and doing this every couple of months and so this coming Sunday, June 6th, we're going to have a special baptism Sunday. It'll be part, there's only one service. So if you show up at 11, you will be 30 minutes late. All right, but we're going to have one service next week at 1030. And uh, it's going to be in here. And then we're going to shift a little bit. It won't, it won't quite be a, a whole hour or so in here. And then we're going to shift outside and we're going to celebrate some baptisms. And then we got some water slides and bounce houses and little kiddie pools for the little kids. And then we've got a hot dog bar with some delicious goodness um, toppings to put on there. So it's going to be a, a fun day, but it's going to be a great celebration day, the best part, because people are walking out and they're practicing what they believe. So if you, I say this, uh, if you have been thinking about this, about being baptized, if you have questions about it, um, get with me this week, Shannon at the porchcc.com or see me after the service, because I would love to talk with you about this. Maybe, maybe this Sunday, June 6th isn't the time, but maybe uh, a little bit further down the road if you have questions about baptism. So, okay, so we're in this series and we're talking about our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And the first thing I want us to do today is I want us to establish um, what mature means, what it means to be mature, because obviously we don't want to have an orthopraxy that isn't mature, right? We don't want to have behavior that's not mature. We don't want immature behavior and trying to, to combine it with our beliefs in who God is and then them not make sense. So we want to understand mature. I remember... Um, as a kid, like little kid, um, probably even before like junior high or you know, middle school, and um, I would be in the living room, and because that's where the TV was, and uh, the announcement thing would come on. We had cable, so we thought we were really like rich or something, and uh, we had, and so like we had HBO, so we were like, wow, we're we're, we're really we're really up there. And do you guys remember, or it still happens, when the little thing would come on? right before the movie starts to tell you what the rating is of the show. And, um, and it would be like, I would be sitting on the couch and I would hear the, the thing come on, like, you know, like the following program is rated, you know, PG, you know, because I'm probably watching like Karate Kid or something. I don't know. But I would get up off the couch and sprint to the TV because this was before... Um, middle-class families could afford remote control television, so I had to like go to the television to, to do anything, change the channel, volume, whatever. So I'd get up and fly to the TV to turn it down so that my mom would not hear the announcement that the following movie was rated PG for mature audiences because she would tell me not to watch it because I mean, she didn't know what it was going to be, right? So I was always like playing this game of trying to turn the volume down right before the movie. That's not the kind of mature 
that we're going to talk about today, right? Because that kind of mature is like, you know, language and, you know, violence and you know, someone's probably naked. I mean, there's something going on and they, not everyone can watch this. And so I'm run, that's not the maturity that we're talking about. So here's the kind of maturity I want us to look at today. And I use this as a springboard. I ended last week's message in 1 John chapter 4. And this whole series has been based on the book of 1 John. And I said this, this is the, I read this. This is the beginning of verse 17. This is a springboard for today. And I, I read this. It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Our love grows more perfect. Wow. Okay, so now we're trying to understand what mature means, but now here I am throwing out this word perfect. Well, there is a perfectly good reason for that. <laughs> All right, there's this Greek word, and it's teleos, teleos. And the word teleos is interchangeable for both the word perfect and the word mature. They are the same. See, when you and I think perfect, we think without error, right? You can't mess up. You got to be perfect, right? And so perfect and mature, they're the same word, and it's teleos. And here is the definition of teleos, okay? And this is where you see that it's also mature. It's this, to be mature, teleos. Perfect means to be mature. When we read in scripture about being perfect, it's not you will never mess up again. It's that you should be mature. And it says having a love of another magnitude. We talked about that last week, right? That agape love, that unconditional sacrificial love. And it even says in the definition, teleos is the very love of God. So that's perfect. That's mature. It's all wrapped up together. All right, so teleos is mature. It's, it's this agape love. It's perfect, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial. So mature and perfect are the same. Now, so here, here's what we're thinking about, right? Orthodoxy, we believe this. Okay, God is perfect. God is obviously spiritually mature. His love for us is unconditional. His love for us is sacrificial. And now we're asked and given the opportunity to participate in this. Like so that we can mature and, and start to learn this kind of love and live this kind of unconditional, perfect love. So this is about learning and applying and offering and exuding this kind of mature love, all right? So in, in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, um, we have these words recorded that Jesus said, and this is what he says about this, this mature, perfect love. And it's kind of a challenge, and it's kind of one of those, like, come on now. <laughs> he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? So it's like, hey, look, just if someone else loves you and you love them back, I mean, that's, that's all good and everything, but that's not really the challenge. Like, that's not really evidence of your spiritual maturity. And it goes on to say, if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Again, friends are nice to friends. That's what they are. No matter what the character is of the person, no matter where they are spiritually, no matter what they believe about God, friends love friends. Like that's kind of how, that's why you're friends. And he even says, even pagans do that. Pagans, which we'll see something about pagans in a moment. Uh, verse 48, but this is what Jesus says in response to this. He's like, but, talking to spiritually mature people, you are to be perfect, 
You're to be mature. You're to have this agape love, this sacrificial, this unconditional love, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, mature. So we're supposed to have this similar, we're supposed to be working towards the same kind of perfect love that God has for us. We are to have for others. And there's no like stipulations. It's not, hey, you should have perfect love for your friends that like you right, or that the people you hang out with, it's like, no, 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 you just, you have perfect love. You should be walking in this maturity. So mature agape love. So talking about pagans, um, Paul wrote something, which I think is really important for us to to take in and understand today, because I think in in chapter four of this book in, in Ephesians, he gives us a really good example of immaturity, maturity, and what does it look like, what does it not look like, and kind of what the, the end result will be. So in Ephesians 4, um, first of all, Paul is writing, the Ephesians were the people who lived in the city of Ephesus, and he talks to them about this pagan stuff, and the reason he writes to them, he's encouraging them to not just be like, hey, would you consider God, would you consider maturing in your faith, would you consider being people who like let other people know about Jesus. No, he's like passionately encouraging them to do this for a very good reason because the city of Ephesus was a pagan city. It was it was rampant with um, like just immorality and uh, idol worship, all these distractions and all these temptations around. So kind of think, you know, Mardi Gras and... Key West and Burning Man and maybe, I don't know, Remerton the first weekend that school starts and Club La Vila for all you people that used to do that. Don't raise your hand. Like, this was Ephesus, okay? Like all, it was wild. This was Ephesus and Paul's like saying, hey, I need you to be people who are spiritually mature. Like, I need you to, be, like, you need to be, not he needs them to, but he's like, look, if you're going to be part of the cause of Christ, like, this is what you need to do. So, picking up in verse 13, this is what Paul writes. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about our orthodoxy, what we believe, and our orthopraxy, like, how we live this out. Maturity, perfection. He says, and he's kind of writing them saying, hey, we need to build the church up. We need to build up the body of Christ. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, okay? That we will have this unconditional sacrificial love, this love of another magnitude, teleos, all right? He says, measuring up, not just to, hey, you know, kind of decent. No, to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is the kind of of, of spiritual maturity that we should be living into. Verse 14, he gives an example. Like, when you start to mature spiritually, here's what happens. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So he's like, we need to be spiritually mature. People of Ephesus, can you be mature? Because there's a a culture, a society around you that's going nuts. And like, we need Jesus to be evident to these people. And so here's why we're landing this whole series 
right here. Because the series up to this point has been based on the book of 1 John, and that's our jumping off point today. But I really want us to finish here in Ephesians. Because as I have been working on this, and got to be honest with you guys, you're getting a little bit different message than even 930 got. Because I was just like, God just kept, he's just like, kept going, eh, dude, no, yes, and change. And so I've just been trying to be listening this morning and making a few little changes to things because I want so much to communicate what I feel God has been impressing on me and, and in many ways burdening me with, in, in a good way, for several, several months. Because I, I look at what Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and in and, and a lot of ways, I just see this for us, porch community, that God desires for all who call on his name to grow up, that we need to grow up, mature, be perfected with this love this agape, unconditional, sacrificial, of another magnitude kind of love. Um, I could be wrong, and someone can come and tell me later. <laughs> I might listen to you. Um, but I think, to date, the question, because you guys know how I like to ask questions to make us think a little bit. Because that's how I learn, so that's what I give to you guys, too. You, if anyone hates my questions, I'm sorry. Like, gosh, because I'm not going to stop. Um, but here is what I think is the most challenging question I've yet to ask. <laughs> you ready? If everyone in this church, and I am talking specifically about the Porch Community Church... Now, if you have, if you're visiting here today, or if you have a home church, um, then you apply this question to where your home church is. But if this is where you are, like if this is where you're like, this is where I'm going to be, this is where I want to be part of the community of faith, all right? If everyone in this church had their spiritual maturity capped where you are in your maturity, what would our church look like? If everyone who was a part of the Porch Community Church had their spiritual maturity, like at whatever, wherever you are, what would our church look like? And you know I got some follow-up thoughts. Would, would gathering together with other people in worship be a deep, deep desire? Would, would our larger community, like Valdosta, Lowndes County, South Georgia, you know, like, would our community know that we love them because we're always looking for ways to show them that? Would, would everyone, if, 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 if everyone had their spiritual maturity capped where you are, like, Wherever you are, that's where we all were. Would, would we all see the importance of prayer? Would just reading and studying the Bible be a regular practice? 
like knowing God's word. I mean, how do you mature in the faith if we don't know the faith? How do we, how do we obey God's commands if we don't know God's commands, right? Would our serve teams, get real specific here, if everyone's spiritual maturity was capped where yours is, would our serve team leaders have a hard time making sure that everyone on their team had an opportunity to serve because so many people were desiring to do their part and serve others? Would, would, um, would our giving, would our financial giving, our offerings, would they month to month always exceed the costs of doing ministry. If the entire, if all of us, if our spiritual maturity was, was capped where yours is, would, um, would our kids pastor, Kristen, would, would she have to tell super excited like volunteers or potential volunteers that there just wasn't a spot for them to help on Sunday morning or to help with Vacation Bible School because so many people signed up? Would, would um, if our spiritual maturity was capped where yours is, would, would uh, we have to have like a, a special ministry board meeting and go, hey, we got to do something because, um, you know, Justin, you know, and Allison, they budgeted X amount of dollars to go on mission trip, but we've got three times the number of students that we thought we were going to have. So we got to figure out how we're going to get them to New Orleans, right? If our spiritual maturity is capped where yours is, would, would getting together, would being in community, in a, in, a, in a group of people studying God's word, challenging one another, holding one another accountable, praying for one another, doing life with each other, would it be a vital non-negotiable for all of us? Based on your spiritual maturity right now, what would this church look like if we all looked like you? So do you see a need to mature spiritually in your life? Do you see this need? Do you sense this need as we look at God's word and as we hear questions like this, which trust me, I've already been trying to answer these questions for myself. So do you see the need to mature? When our daughter Mallory was a baby, infant, um, there was this wonderful phase of her infancy when um, we could put her on a blanket in the, on the living room floor and like actually like leave her there just you know quick enough to run into the kitchen or run to the restroom, you know, whatever you needed to do and not be super afraid. Now, you can't go in there for a while, so, you know, don't take a book, Drew. Like, just do what you need to do and come back, you know, because there she is on the blanket. But like, so... I know you would catch up to that one in a moment. Um, so, but there was that phase where Mallory was on this blanket, and she would play. You could put little toys around her, and they'd do their little, little baby things. But here's the deal about, about kids. They grow. And not long after you're able to leave them there for, you know, 1.5 minutes. Is that right? Yeah. And, and let them hang out there on the, on the blanket. Pretty soon, these, 
little creatures, they start to roll, right? And you could put them on the blanket and, and, walk, and, and next thing you know, they've rolled like 20 feet. And you're like, how did this happen? What happened? And, you know, they've got like carpet and pet hair all over them because they were just rolling all over the floor. And, and so they roll. And then what happens is, is they start to get even stronger and they start to scoot, I don't know, do whatever they do. I was hanging out with Josh's youngest daughter, Caroline, on Friday as they were filming the announcement video. And this girl can do the worm like nobody's business. And how old is Caroline, Josh? He's in the other room. He's probably talking in someone's ear. Do we know? Where's Kara? Everyone's gone. They've all left. She's a baby. She's not driving yet. Um, so we know that now she's, she's like eight months old, nine months old. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So, so anyway, so I've got Caroline. How old is she? How many? Eight months. months. Yes, excellent. Thank you. He's on the he's on another board in the other room working. So, Um, so Caroline, I mean seriously, she can totally do the worm. Like she, I had her. We were in the room with a bunch of couches, and we were, and she could hear her dad's voice down the hall. And I just looked away, and she's like boink 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 going down the hallway. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like she's abs of steel. And so, but this is what happens with kids, right? They they grow. And then here's what, this is what really gets crazy is when they start to go, hey, these feet, these things down here at the bottom of my legs, they're not just made to put in my mouth. Like I actually can start to like, like do something with them. And they learn to crawl or scoot or do weird things. I know you parents out there, you got stories about how your kids learn how to crawl and what kind of like yoga poses they got into trying to get around the house. It's what they do, but they figure out that their hands and their feet can do things. And then it gets really crazy because then they start to pull up on things. Ottomans, you know, not usually soft things, usually like sharp-edged things, you know, glass tables, fireplaces, you know, things like that, you know. But that's what they do. They start to pull up on things, and they're like, wow, this is kind of cool. This is like a new perspective I didn't have before. Before I was way down here, and now I'm up here. And, and they start to do this. And, and then I was thinking about with Mallory, like, she would get to the point where she was, you know, really pretty good about scooting around our ottoman. She's pretty quick. And then how kids are, I love this, then they get to the point where they're like, okay, I'm going to be real crazy today, and I'm just going to put one hand on the ottoman. And you're like, woohoo, that's awesome. And then they go, okay, now the couch is over there, and you can just see, like, they're working in their head, because they're like, okay, ottoman here, couch there, got to take a couple extra steps, but then they try it. And they fall down, but, but then they try it again, and they try it again, and they try it again. And before you know it, they're taking a couple of steps. Did you know that a toddler was called a toddler for a reason? Because they toddle. That's why they're called toddlers. Like, they don't got it down yet, but they're, they're working on it, okay? They're getting there. And then for our Mallory, on her first birthday, she took her first steps without an ottoman or without a fireplace or anything, and she started taking her steps. There's a reason I tell you that story, because to me, that is the image of the journey of faith, of our spiritual maturity, of us growing, of us becoming who we were intended to be when we said yes to God, when we said yes, I believe in Jesus. When we said, oh my goodness, 
the life, I, I, I messed up. I'm, let me start on the blanket. This is the journey of faith. And so I would ask you, like, where are you? Where are you? Are you maturing? Does your orthopraxy, does your behavior match what you've been saying you believe? Or, and I don't mean this to to pick on anyone because we're all on a journey at different places. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But if you've been a believer, like you've had some orthodoxy for a while, like you're able to say the words, but you're still on the blanket? Or if you've been scooting around the ottoman for, I don't know, up umpteen years, yet you're a believer? At, at what point, like, you see the difference between your orthopraxy and your orthodoxy? Like, why is our behavior so far behind? See, if Mallory's ability, see, she's 10 years old now, and if Mallory's abilities and her motor skills which they are, if they were average or a little above average on the charts of where a 10-year-old's supposed to be. But if, if her motor skills and, and, and her abilities are where they're supposed to be, but for whatever reason, she was still only walking around our ottoman in our house, Drew and I would be very concerned for her. I mean, isn't that Right? Parents, grandparents, didn't, wouldn't we be concerned if we saw that kind of development, developmental uh, issue going on? And yet, that's the exact concern that I have for the church. It's why we've been doing this series. And it is the concern that God has impressed upon me this past year and something especially. Because it seems to me that as we think about maturity and, and, and growing in our faith, that as the church, it seems as if we are so quick to be enraged, but we are so very slow to love others. And that we're so very quick to be offended, and yet we are very, very reluctant to offer grace. Like we're, we're so willing to just ditch the body of Christ if, if the, the church doesn't align exactly with me socially or politically. Right? Like post-COVID, choosing to, to be absent from the church but present in every other area of life. And I just think about that, and, and I just, I wonder if there's been a regression in our maturity as the church. And I wonder, has there been a regression in your maturity just because of, I don't know, apathy, laziness, distraction? Maybe you've been hanging out in Ephesus? I don't know. But I think about this, and I think about these words and what we're called to. But then I see immaturity and, and imperfection. Not, not, I'm not talking about like with a bunch of errors. I'm talking about like not having that agape love, that unconditional love, that Christ-like 
love, that sacrificial love. And I don't, here's, Porch community, I don't want us to be sitting on that blanket. I mean, it's great for a little while. And I don't, I don't want us to be toddling around an ottoman in the living room forever. And so if we've said yes to Jesus, and let me make that really clear. If you haven't yet said yes to Jesus let me know. I will hang out with you on that blanket. And I'll tell you, I will tell you some really good stories on that blanket. And then I will help you with that ottoman. And I will hang out with you in that living room. And I will help you when you start, start to take some steps. And I say me, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about anyone who claims Jesus and who is a follower. Like, let us know. Let somebody know. We will walk with you. But if you have been declaring this faith orthodoxy, this belief for a while now, we should be maturing. We should be perfecting. So, are you walking? Are you, uh, are you sure-footed as you go through life? Like, do you know where you're taking your steps? Like, are they on the foundation of God's word? See, Ephesians 4, verse 14, it told us, it said, not to be immature or influenced, you know, back and forth by, you know, weird teaching. You know, that's, it's just like, oh, whatever happens, you know, go with it. I want to read the rest of Ephesians 4 to you. This is what someone who is practicing spiritual maturity does. So if you're challenged by that question about are you on the blanket or scooting around the ottoman or however it is, like listen to these words. This is God's word written through the apostle Paul for for people a long long time ago and yet it has power and promise for us right now in this moment. Beginning in verse 14, 15. I just made up a new word. 13. He starts, he says, instead, so he's saying, instead of being immature, we will speak the truth in love. Right? Because a mature person, we understand love. We're practicing love. This is our orthopraxy. We will speak the truth in love, growing, because that's what we do. In every way, more and more like who? Christ. Because we're spiritually mature. This is our orthopraxy. It's based on these beliefs, but now we're practicing them. And then he gives a declaration. Who is Christ? The head of his body, the church. Verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together. And how does he do it? Perfectly. Perfectly. Teleos. As each part, and that's talking about each of us practicing spiritual maturity, right? That's each of, we're, we're the parts. As each part does its own special work, so like as you mature, and as I mature, and you mature, and you mature, and as we mature, as the body of Christ, here's what happens. It helps the other parts grow. Wow. We're all doing our part. 
And there's a purpose. It's not just so we can say, hey, look how tall I am or look how fast I can run, right? No, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It just keeps on coming, doesn't it? This love, this love, this love. Agape love, this unconditional love, this perfect love, this mature love. Now, Paul writes, and we get to another example of the opposite of, of a spiritually mature life. And he starts like kind of big. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Those were those who did not know God. That's what he means by that. He, he wasn't talking about a specific people group. I mean, he was in that context, but those who do not know God. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because... See, this is something a spiritually mature person does not do. They, they close their minds and harden their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So he's like, this is what we don't want to do. And then verse 20, he gets back to this is practicing spiritual maturity. Because he says, that isn't what you learned about Christ. That kind of behavior, that's not what you learned. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. Like just view it as like that old, you know, an old jacket you don't need anymore. I don't know. Like just throw it off. Like you don't need that anymore. Throw off your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. It's like, no, no, you're maturing, you're growing. Throw that off, throw off the old way. And then verse uh, 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Like, are you challenged when I say, are you sitting on the blanket? If so, how about bring your thoughts and your attitudes under the authority and under the power of Jesus Christ? Because if you're going, well, man, I am sitting on this blanket, but I don't know what to do about it, but I'm going to let my mind go, and I'm going to let do whatever it wants, and I'm going to let my actions, I'm going to let my behaviors be whatever they want to be. I wanna be. I'm going to Ephesus. I'm going to be there for a week. I'll get back to you. But gosh, I sure do feel bad that Shannon pointed out that I'm sitting on the blanket. No, we do something about it. And Paul says, he says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. So it's just not, oh, I'm not going to do that and that anymore. It's, no, no, put on this new nature. Put on the nature of Christ. Put on this new nature created to be like who? Created to be like God, God himself. See, we're called into this kind of love. And then he gives a descriptor as if God needs a descriptor. But he says, truly righteous and holy. We're called into that. So stop telling lies, verse 25 says. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. 
It's not just about you. It's not just about me. This isn't just about how I can be more mature, how I can be more perfect, how I can practice the love of God more. No, it is for the sake of all of us. Verse 26. He gets really practical here. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This this is the, the, these are the actions of a mature person, a spiritually mature person. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't, do, don't do, do things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. See, a spiritually mature person will get rid of those things and move beyond those things. And then he, he doesn't, see, again, it's not just about, hey, stop doing that. He says this in verse 32, finally. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is orthodoxy and orthopraxy merging right here in Ephesians 4. What we believe determines how we behave, and how we behave reveals what we truly believe. We need to bring these together. I don't know where you are, if you're on the blanket or toddling around the ottoman, scooting through the house, or running full steam ahead. But I know that God wants to meet you right now where you are. And I know he wants to walk forward with you in your journey of faith. Let's pray together. God, like the father that you are... (laughs) I pray that you would take our hand this morning and we would, well, first, that we would say yes to you. We would say yes to Jesus, that this love that we've talked about, it's not unattainable. It's not something that we can never reach. It is something that has been given to us. It has been been shown to us. An example has been given to us through Jesus Christ. You love us, and you have forgiven us of our sin. And through our belief in Jesus, we are given new life. And in that new life, God, I pray that we, we start right there on that blanket but then very soon, we, take your, we let you take our hand 
and you walk with us. And when we fall, you pick us up. But God, I pray that the desire of each and every one of us this morning would be that we would intentionally be in your word, be in prayer, be in conversation, be held accountable, that we would be present, that we would be doing whatever it is that you call us to do in your name, and that we would be maturing, being perfected in you, in your love, in love. Would you work that in us now and and call us back to Ephesians 4, all over the place in 1 John, that we know your love, and now we see how to walk this out. Because of Jesus, in his name, we seek after you now. Amen.